Zen has been summed up in four statements. A direct transmission outside scriptures and apart from tradition. No dependence on words and letters. Direct pointing to the human mind and seeing into one's own nature and becoming Buddha. Hey, what's going on? And welcome to another episode of the Yamanote Tech and Society Podcast. Today is Wednesday. My name is Chris. Thank you for joining in with us this evening. Uh, we got a good show. Uh, we've been working really hard to grab as many interviews as we possibly can. If you're not familiar with our show, uh, it's Amino Day Tech Society podcast. It's, it's like any other podcast out there, although, you know, it's just another random podcast. But here we try to make a little bit of entertainment in learning about our businesses, working online, technology, how it basically all correlates with society. And we have a little spinoff because of the fact that uh, we're uh, international, you know, podcast. We, you know, we even though that we, uh, we may record sometimes in the United States, we also record in the parts of the world. And other parts of the world is basically in, uh, in Japan. So I'm basically staying here. Stay back, you know, stay with us, and we'll be able to see maybe, you know, a little bit more. What else, what else is left to come about, you know, the Amanoji Tech Society podcast? Um, so uh, tonight, we're going to be going ahead and going over the interview with, uh, it was actually, it was, it was an interview I, I had last last month, but this interview was actually, you know, one of my favorite ones I, w- I wanted to um, to get to you guys this month. Um, is, and basically, it's, it's an interview with Aaron Tokunaga. So Aaron Tokunaga, if you're not familiar, uh, I spent a lot of time, uh, other than like, playing games or working, coding, you know, surfing web. I used to play this game called Dance Dance Revolution. And I was really interested in uh, meeting or at least contacting uh, this person because he was really good at playing DDR. He had a lot of friends that basically uh, played DDR in Japan. So his ideas is basically, his, uh, his, like his lifestyle is much different these days. But, you know, back in the you know early 2000s, uh, if you wanted to see someone, you know, play really well or get some tips on like how people played in Japan, uh, this was the man to do it. Um, he currently right now works as an entrepreneur. He owns his own business, working for companies like Tachi, Epson, and uh, Konami Entertainment, you know. So he was basically willing to take the time out of his busy schedule, you know, to talk with me about, you know, entertainment, entrepreneurship, business, you know, and what's what was going on currently, you know, right now for 2020. So stay tuned and we'll be back in a few moments and we will start that. Uh, we'll start that interview. All right. All right. So, <clears throat> yeah. So thanks a lot, Aaron, for taking the time to, you know, talk with me about when, you know, for mm. this particular interview. Um, so yeah, can we, can we can go ahead and we can uh, just start out with, you know, a little, uh, I guess, introduction on uh who you are why why um you know this uh this conversation is basically coming on just whatever you feel like sharing and then i'll go through you know the conversation after that all right um well where to start 
Uh, my name, my current name, actually is Aaron Tokunaga. Uh, I was Aaron Melowick. I was originally from Canada, but I moved here in 1998. Uh, originally, it was an internship program with uh, Epson. They make printers, digital cameras, a bunch of other things. And I was stationed over in Nagano, which is just around the tail end of the Olympics when I first came over. So, yeah, and we've got another one coming up, too. So how wonderful for that. <laughs> and so afterwards, I basically just stuck around. I did manage to graduate. I had to go back and pick up my degree. But uh, basically, I just stayed here ever since. And um, a lot of things have happened. So I've changed jobs quite a few times. I've changed locations quite a few times, changed industries a few times. Um, in the end, right now, I uh, basically I work for myself. I set up my own business, and I'm living up here in Saitama, which is just north of Tokyo. I'm living here with my wife, and we got two kids. Uh, one of which is here somewhere. Uh, other one's out with my wife. And apart from that, I think the biggest thing that people might remember me for is usually my involvement with music games, particularly with uh, Dance Dance Revolution, but Bamani in general, I think. Yeah. And that stemmed, again, back from 1998. I arrived just before the release of the first um, DDR game. However, uh, I arrived after Beat Mania first launched. So I was just at the beginning crunch of that one. Okay. And I originally started up a fan site around 1999, though I was talking to people before that. And it kind of blossomed from there. Like it, it expanded from a small fan community over in Seattle. And uh, there was one in Las Vegas as well, and there was one in Cali. I can't remember if it was north or south. And from there, it just kind of expanded from there and blew up internationally and um, started getting attention from all sorts of places, not just myself, but the group of players that we, well, we, the ones that we hung out with uh, all the time, literally all the time back then. And uh, basically from there, I was able to merge uh, my hobbies, so basically gaming and music gaming in particular, into my work to a degree as well, though that's not all of what I do right now. That seems to be what most people remember me for, what they know me for. Uh, though I do have a few other random talents and skills and abilities too that some people have noticed, but those are not things that I'm quite known for. Um, but we can talk about any of that along the road. Sure, or along sure, the route, sure. So. Yeah. Thank, thanks, thank, thank you for thank that. You. Uh, I, I think I hear an echo. Is that from me? Or... Yeah, I heard a few beeps on that. Oh, one thing I probably... I should mention that I did mention at the very beginning my name now, my name before. Uh, the reason it actually changed was because I naturalized here as a Japanese citizen. So I'm legally Japanese now. I have a passport and everything. So um, the cost for that, however, was that I had to give up my Canadian one. Uh, so you renounced your Canadian citizenship? I had, yeah, I had to renounce the Canadian one. Meaning that you can't even keep your last name? Um, I... It, although it was possible to keep my last name in Katakana in Japan as a Japanese last name, it's not a good idea. I mean, my wife is with government services. Um, her having a uh, foreign-sounding last name, especially when she's in an, a sector that demands nationality, it leads to all sorts of unnecessary problems. And it was just easier for me to take her name. So that's yeah. kind of why the name is what it is. Um and my first name, it, I tried to put Aaron back into kanji. It's sort of half worked. It was a really complicated mess. But then my kids' names are also very complicated characters as well. Uh, so that's basically how it worked that way, too. Um, so, yeah, I had to give up my citizenship. However, they still sent me papers for the last Canadian election, the national one. 
which was really weird because I had no right to vote in that one. But they sent me an envelope saying, here's your voting slips. And uh, sure, okay. But they gave it for a district I hadn't lived in in like over 25 years. So, Yeah, I mean, with the actual um, topic, it's, it's more about uh, the idea of just like, uh, I know that we, we talked about the before the interview that you were discussing about like your uh, website, the, mm. the, the their life in Japan as a, uh, a foreigner who is now a naturalized citizen who mm. now um, has two different perspectives that you utilize mm. to guide you through your business and your mm. online presence. So right. um, the, the people who are going to be listening to this will be, you know, people who are also probably looking to start businesses online, start right. business outside the country, and, okay. uh, you know, maybe even be able to understand a little bit more about how mm. uh, the the, uh, the citizenship like path mm. citizenship happens, you know. Yeah, you don't need to go to the extent that I did in order to like, start a business <laughs> of course. or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, there are other reasons for that. Mm -hmm. it, I would say it helps, but not always. It says there's always, a, it's a double-edged sword no matter how you look at it. Uh, but for the company itself, um, I don't want to say it started from music games or anything like that. Uh, originally, it started just because of my past employers, actually, the past companies. Um, I was usually in a position where I would be the only one capable of doing some task or some service that the company right. needed or relied on. And that's fine. I mean, it's job security in one sense. But on the other hand, I just kind of see the numbers and I see, well, how much are they making? How much are they charging? And how much am I getting out of this? This doesn't seem right considering everything's hinging on me right. and after this happened a few times just came to the realization well these are all sort of similar in nature i could probably do this on my own and just contract myself out right. i mean yeah. there was that initial jump which is a little bit terrifying because you have to go and approach all these other people and say look i'm leaving you because i'm going to do the same thing and you're mm -hmm. going to pay me now as another company mm -hmm. um originally there was some anger and frustration to that but it quickly seceded because you were able to, well, as long as you can talk them into a nice relationship. I mean, okay, it's cheaper in the long run for them if I'm not being paid as a full-time employee. I'm not wasting their time. They're not wasting my time with menial tasks just to fill up the hours. Right. And um, it kind of works out because I can focus all my effort on whatever they need to do um, right away, even if it's at a weird hour, if you want to work on a project basis. And that's something that I've done as well. So... It's worked out. The problem now is actually juggling different clients, like the ones that I used to work with before, because some of them are in com competition with each other. Mm -hmm. So I'm not under contract not to work with them. Like when I was working full time, I was under a contract not to do that. But now it's not the same thing. But still, it's a bit of a rough situation sometimes. All right. So let's go ahead and talk about the fact that, you know, you're in Japan. You, obviously, you have to speak Japanese. Um, yes. Okay. I uh, I, I've been following you for a while. I mean, like, I really, uh, you know, started out following you with the um, the idea of, like, playing DDR and the whole mm -hmm. Meatonic community. But then I also noticed on how you branded yourself online, the um, Aaron in Japan website, you know, I that's right. what was like, that was the hub for finding out anything that was going mm -hmm. on in Japan, you and, and uh, I guess, Take and Yasu, as I haven't really, as yeah. I thought I pronounced them. And... I also, you know, followed a lot of, I actually went to Japan and wanted to actually, you know, do things in, in Japan, but not necessarily where 
um, I was going to work for someone. It was like being on business. So finding mm-hmm. out that you transferred from working for someone to moving to your own um, your own business was really interesting, mm-hmm. especially with the fact that you did go to I think I remember you saying that you went to school for career science. So programming, software engineering right. was, you know, um, so with that all being said, uh, how would if you had to do this all over again, if you wanted to talk to Aaron, little Aaron, you know, we'll just say mm-hmm. that. How would you talk to him in preparing him for the steps you go? Would you would you tell him to just take the same path or, you know? Um, the thing is, I think the biggest, the pivot point, the pivot points or anything that was really major in my life, I wouldn't say it was like on the spur of the moment, but it was more of uh, letting go of like hesitation, like just doing it. Um, that was a major thing because it's really easy just to say comfortable. Like I could have stayed with some of the past employers and said, okay, I know I'm not getting much. I'm not always treated the greatest. Um, they're putting some ridiculous demands on there, but it's a secure job. It's stable. I know my weekly schedule. I know what I'm doing. Right. So there's that, but there could be so much more. Right. And that extends not just to business, but the personal life and everything else as well. But um, to myself, I guess as when I was younger, especially, I was very concrete in my ways. Like I knew I wanted to go into computer science from elementary school. So way back, we had little job sheets. And this was the early 80s, of course. So you had these big, bizarre dot matrix printed things from mainframes that would mm. arrive via mail. And um, I said, if you're interested in computer science, here are some schools and here are some options open for you. And they gave different paths, listing different schools and careers and other things that might get you started. And I remember in the rest of the class, everybody had different have different dreams, so to speak. They're very mundane in comparison because it was a farming town, of course. But uh, there was things like uh, there was farmers, of course. There's factory workers. There's machinists. There's auto repair. The, the general ones like that. And they would all get like maybe a two sheet folder back saying, "Okay, here's some options for you." When I submitted the thing for computer science, I got an eight page uh, document back saying, "Okay, there's there's it's just exploding right now. Everything's going crazy." So. It was a bit overwhelming, but I didn't think about it much at the time because I was like single digit years old at the time. <laughs> but uh, later on, especially in high school, I was just dead set. Like, I got to get those good grades, got to go into computer science. And then when university was approaching, I was thinking, like, there's not a whole lot that I'm going to deviate from. Like, at the time, I had an interest in music and I played three different instruments. I did receive a scholarship if I were to pursue music, but I was at that crossroad where, well, okay, I could do that. But when I graduate, what's going to happen? I mean, what is that going to get me? And there was a real problem. I could see that there just wasn't a market or there wasn't a sector for me as a musical performer. Not like that. I mean, I could have achieved some small respect or done um, some concerts or anything like that, but I just couldn't see that as a career type of thing like that, just something on the side. Mm-hmm. So I went into computer science at University of Waterloo, and then I got into the co-op program, which uh, was what changed everything, really. Because the co-op program, I think it was, um, as it was at the time anyway, when I went, it worked out into a perfect balance because you worked for four months, you went to school for four months, and you went back and forth, back and forth. Mm -hmm. And now the costs are completely out of whack now, but at the time, it was possible to make enough in four months to pay for your next four months and then rinse, repeat until you graduate. So by the time you, so it does take a long time to graduate. It was like five years, but um, the the flip side to that is that you'll have two years worth of experience by the time you graduate. And in theory, you won't have that much debt. Um, in reality, it didn't quite play out like that, but um, it wasn't terrible. I mean, and uh, the actual placement in Japan was just, it was actually a fluke on uh, my part as well, because at the time my grades weren't 
really great. Like, I mean, in math, they were fine. Uh, computer science for the actual coding stuff, it was okay. But things like microprocessor design and stuff, I didn't really agree with, like programming theory and order notation and all that stuff. I thought the days of that were numbered. Um, I didn't really take to that, and I wasn't doing very well. But um, I don't know what it was about. Maybe the resume, I started getting a lot of uh, contacts that way. And then I got various interviews and I wasn't actually paying attention to the location because 99% of them are right there in Waterloo. And you'll be, it'll say on it when it's not in Waterloo, usually it's like, oh, this is in Hamilton or this is in Toronto or something like that, a usual case. But for whatever reason, a past graduate who had graduated from Waterloo set up an internship there. So I wasn't even paying attention. Oh, Epson, sure, apply to that. I knew in Epson there was one in Toronto. And I look back and later on I see, oh, it's in Nagano. Where's that? Oh, that's in Japan. Ah, oh, I'm okay. I'm no. not prepared for that. Um, so and I did get the interview. I did it. And I thought, okay, well, that's the end of it. I thought it was just a terrible interview. I didn't do very well on it at all. I can't speak Japanese. I don't understand the industry. I don't know what's going on. Um, but then I got a message back saying, oh, you've been placed. I said, oh, what? So, okay, you better pack your bags because you're there for a year. And like, usually it's four months. But for anything like that, it's a year-long stint. Wow. Uh, but... Yeah, I think just uh, the point I want to get, I'm going way off course over here. No, no, I, no, it's, this is great. This is actually, it's great. I'm, you're painting a really good picture. Um, you know, so. But you're saying about what I would say to my younger self. I guess just um, just go with it. Mm -hmm. uh, don't try to resist change if it's coming upon you, mm -hmm. something like that. Um, it's Because, again, it's too easy to settle. I mean, you could do that, but you're going to regret it later because you don't regret the times you failed. You just regret the times you never tried. And <laughs> that's... It can, again, it can be terrifying. I mean, moving to Japan the very first time, like I originally had no family there whatsoever. The limit of my experience with Japan was the hatred of Japan by my great-grandfather, actually, because uh, he was a Canadian war hero, so to speak. I don't know all the details. He was decorated, but I, as far as I know, he's never set foot on soil over here. He's just harvests a bit of attitudes from that era, especially towards Germany and Japan and Japan. yeah, and a bunch of the family that worshipped him also continued that to this day, and I still have that kind of conflict going with some people back there. Wow, fun! <laughs> but it's it's never a dull moment. It doesn't sound like it. I mean, no, it's never a dull moment. That's good and bad too, because I get exhausted from all this. <laughs> mm. So 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 right now, I mean, like we can we can try to fast forward a little bit um, to sure. I guess where you you you're, the Aaron in Japan uh, website. I, I was very okay. fascinated by that. You branded yourself very early. And you maintain that uh, the, oh, yes. the theme. The, um, yeah, I mean, I really that, that's one thing I really call me. And you kept it up all the way up to this day. I, well, I'm I, very I'm very consistent. I, yeah. I, when I pick something, I don't like to change it. So you'll see, like especially online too, my usernames. It's always been the same. Um, my online my PlayStation ID. It's been the same since day one. Uh -huh. uh, my Twitter ID is same. I joined up a little bit later, but I kept it all since day one. So I have like very few characters in my usernames and things like that very small names like that one of the originals like that um the whole thing with aaron in japan the naming of that was actually i remember seeing travel blogs at the time well it wouldn't be blogs this was a little bit before that because i was with the internet since 95 mm -hmm. which was when it was really nothing it was just a collection right. of like nothing pages random random stuff uh. But there were people that traveled and they kept up small web pages of their exploits or little diaries once in a while, some photos, things like that. Web space was at a premium back then, so it was pretty limited. 
but um, I kind of liked it. And people went abroad. They said like Timothy in Taiwan and uh, there's like Jason in Cambodia and things like that. So, oh, sure, I can do that. So I sort of started with that. I wasn't the first one to do it, but I just kind of stuck with that when I did it as well. The Aaron in Japan. It it sounds, it it works. It just like, it was like, you know, when you said that to anybody who played DDR, especially they know, they know, you know, that's good and bad. But um, I never really had any negative feedback about it. I mean, like there was, there was a few things I've actually went to here and like being able to say that, Oh, you know, um, I, I, I watched this, you know, video on youtube back in the early times that you know this person triple a this song and then you uh-huh, said, yeah. they would know who you are and know how far you are in the game you're not like a sorry filthy mm. casual you know like that uh, well that well the thing was uh timing much like the game itself timing was the key to everything with that because mm-hmm. i was one of the first ones there also when it came to uh, the whole things with perfect scores which is probably how i cut my footing um, it was very fortunate that at the time I was in Nagano and there were at the time there were about 12,000 arcades in Japan. Now there's only 4,000, but that's a whole other wow. story. <laughs> um, so the rural region suffered, suffered the most. But at the time I was in Nagano and I used to travel to a place in Matsumoto. Actually, there were two arcades. Both of them are closed now, but I went to two arcades at the time. Mm-hmm. And by random chance, I happened to meet one guy, um, Morty, who's uh, got the handle name of Akudaikon. And uh, he came visiting Nagano because he knew a few of the places over at, well, around the prefecture. And that was one of the places he always hung out. And he's 10 years my senior. So when I first met him, he was about 30, how old would he be, 32, 33 or something like that. And uh, at the time, I thought, oh, he was this crazy old man, well, old, relatively. Absolutely. And uh, he was dressed up in military camouflage, I remember. And he was playing like all this random edit data and he was stomping around. He was in he was intrinsically interested in what I was doing because at the time I was making some pretty weird edit data too, like lots of 16th notes and just crazy things like that. Um, Perfection on a song wasn't something I was focused on at the time, but later on I did move to work at Epson, not Epson, I worked at Hitachi down near Yokohama. Mm -hmm. And at that time I just went to a random arcade in Shinjuku during my first week because I had some time off getting settled in. And by just random chance, I was there at the uh, Chirkopoto Arcade over in um, Shinjuku, which is now gone as well. And uh, I went to the second floor waiting by the DR machines. And there he is. I could, I can walks in again that, oh, I remember you. And he brought Take and Yasu with him. And they were visiting the arcade Ah, and said, oh, you should come to Muto. So I said, oh, where's that? And so they drew me a map and I followed it from there after. And ever since we were hanging out together and very quickly um, we learned that, oh, you can get perfect scores in this. Did you know that? I says, well, you know, I'm like, you know, one grade away here, one grade away too. I suppose if I play it again or something, I'd probably do that. No, that says, well, we should do that. I says, okay, well, let's do that. Let's do that a whole bunch. And uh, so we got a whole bunch of them to start. They weren't the hardest things by any means. Mm-hmm. They were a bunch of, there were some expert uh, or maniac level charts at the time, but uh, we posted that on Seattle first. The first thing we do, we posted Seattle because I was talking about it. But Seattle first. Time, Seattle yeah, first is a as a website that basically allows you to post those things. Right. right? Okay. Just so yeah. DDR Seattle was the group DRC. name. They were one of the first ones. I'm not sure how they got a machine first. They did. Mm-hmm. Um, there was uh, a few people that I kept up with to this day. I still talk with uh, once in a while. Deanna is one of them. She actually lived here for a while too, for a few years. Um, Nickel Robert Nickel. He was a guy that visits now and then. Um, Chris Foy, who was known for his collaboration with uh, Kyle Ward, who was in the collaboration for In the Groove. Uh, Kyle uh, said, Chris Foy and I used to trade edit data and 
custom uh, step charts way back in the day. This was wow. way back. Great. Wow. Uh, I met Kyle later on indirectly through him, but uh, this is like yeah, this is like pre sip mania. It's like when it danced with intensity. I'm, I'm assuming. Yeah, the DWI and all that text yeah. text revolution. So you could yeah. play it on dumb terms like the mainframes. <laughs> so yeah, those days, the really good old, old days. days. Yeah, Python dance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, this is really old. But um, trying to get it here. So we met and we. I posted this originally on the DDR Seattle community. Uh, these are the easy boards at the time. I don't know if easy board system is still around. I think it's archived as some other name, but yeah, it was called the easy board system easy at the time. System. And there were okay. a whole bunch of communities that were linked loosely through that. And it spread pretty fast because Chris was the one, Chris Foy was the one that asked, Hey, do you know, if you, if you say guys are getting triple A's and perfect scores there, can you get some pictures of that? Cause we'd really like to see it. And I said, Oh, uh, okay. Uh, I'm, we can do that so we did that and posted it and then everything just exploded overnight with that one that was like oh we, people have never seen this before right and now at the if you put that to today's standards what we did was pretty lame i mean it's not that hard um but well you, you know time, you know roger, roger bannister you know the, the whole the guy that did a four minute mile you know once one person proves it's basically you know real you know possible yes. than anybody else basically possible so you can say yes you can own that you you guys did lead that possibility you, yeah it, it was a watershed moment i mean that was the big one for a while and then after a while people thought they were fake because at this time uh people fake. thought that yeah at the time people thought perfect scores were fake you couldn't do it uh it was impossible like that they thought well what about on a basic song like the very easiest one says oh even that that's just uh it's just so improbable i can't understand that like, it was wow. a mindset at that the time okay. this was before you know max 300 and people thought that was fake no this was just everything was fake and it didn't help because at the time there were a lot of boasters there were a lot of gloaters especially online says oh i can do that i can do that and like of course they don't post proof or anything like that nobody knows who these people are there's oh anybody can do that i can do that and it's like you have to put them in their place so, yeah, fun stuff. It but sounds it, it sounds like you guys had a lot of fun trying to, I guess, show people that you guys were the real deal. I mean, you didn't. It, it, it went on for years. It was literally years with the communities. And the biggest one, again, Max 300 is going to be the biggest one uh, that people point yep. out. But I guess it's true because I know DDR Freak, which was one of the popular community yes, sites. DDR it's Freak, archived yeah. now. It's I don't think it's active anymore. No. But um, at the time, it was about two years until everybody just quieted up about the whole Max 300 thing and mm -hmm. any of the related ones, like Legend of Max and things like that. Any of the 10-footers or the hard ones I mm -hmm. had through too. It, they just wouldn't shut up about it. I mean, they were doing everything to try and prove you wrong. And I saved some of the worst ones, like the um, guys using binomial theorems, which they said were the Poisson distribution to try and prove that it was impossible. Really? Like, it, Somebody tried like, to use math? Well, what they did, they, it's, this is wrong, but they said like, okay, if you have an 80% chance to get perfect on a step and there's like 300 steps, so that's like 0.8 times 0.8 times 0.8, you know, times itself, you know, 0.8 to the power of 300, whatever. <laughs> and it comes out of this really, really small number and says, look at how impossible this is. You can't do that. Nobody can. And, wow. And then, yeah. and then uh, okay, are, are those people like, is there any archives posts that you can? I've kept some of the archives, the usernames I've sometimes kept at, in retrospect, I probably should have kept a, a tab on some of who some of these people were. Mm -hmm. uh, problem is, I don't want these people coming after me later. Oh, <laughs> <You're> saying, uh, <laughs> I mean, now, yeah. On social media now, I have to be very careful. I have to just try to strip some things out because they don't want that known or I have had threats before. I have people really? come after me. 
Really? Uh, well, I'm, I, well, I'll make sure that you'll get a copy of this. That way you can know what you want. I, oh, I don't, it's, it's... So far, I don't think anything's... Oh, okay. For usernames or online handle names, enough people use the same pattern or the same type of names. It really doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. I mean, people name themselves after like a Pokemon or something like that. Right. It's, it's very everybody hard to... Everybody has it, correct. But a real name, something that people know that they can contact, that's starting to get a little bit trouble into a trouble there. And... Uh, when I talk about Bemani or Konami or anything like that, um, I got to be really careful with what I say because most employees aren't actually allowed social network access at all. So, you know. Oh, you mean the very... people who might work for like Konami or? For Konami, yeah. Any uh... of the big industry players like that, they're usually not allowed to go online. Uh, they're not, they're not totally forbidden, but they're highly discouraged because they're going to be tracked and monitored and. There are some exceptions. Some people have gone out of their way just to give them a middle finger to do that. Uh, like uh, mm. the guy from Hudson, the old, the previous president of Hudson um, Entertainment. They mm. make a few other gaming systems like that. If you look them up, you can probably find a list of things. Uh, they made a series, Momotaro Dentetsu, which is like Mario Party, but with trains. Okay. It's only popular in Japan. Nobody's heard of it outside, but here it's it was, anyway, kind of a well-known series. Right. And they got bought out by Konami, and the owner was not happy about this, and... He went on Twitter very openly and started naming people, saying, I refuse to make another game as long as this person, this person, this person is over here. And so, Wow. Great stuff. Entertainment Hunt. Yeah, I can still probably dig those up. Those are still online to this day. I was actually looking it up recently. But um, back to... Uh, yeah, yeah, we can, we, uh, I, I, I think that that's actually really good to, you know, to kind of talk about that. You know, the social media has really picked up, mm-hmm. you know, steam these days. I mean, back in the day... You know, it was that it was, was nothing. Yeah, it was nothing. That was the way you actually connected with people. I mean, I don't think if the yeah. internet was around the way it was, yeah. you wouldn't have known anything. So, yeah. Well, the thing back then, though, is again, there was no social media platforms. Like we had when we eventually got videos. This would have been like two thousand two, two thousand three. This was before YouTube. Right. So that was so, yeah. I actually started uh, two thousand and three. Uh, the the mm. extreme mixed, and then I started right. pick going backwards. But yeah. So um, yeah. yeah, it's probably it's, pretty pretty pretty. Uh, back well well we had trouble because i was on like a limited web plan as well i wasn't rich by any means i was working for itachi so of course i had no money but um <laughs> actually, in, in general music gamers don't have money they have enough money to play the games and that's about it yeah very... that's i i remember yasu but uh, yeah for that we were thinking like where are we going to host these videos i can take them with really limited equipment and that was a whole other issue too because the stuff i was recording on mm. really crappy cameras i had it wasn't saving in a format that anybody had ever heard of. So, like, what's an MJEG? <laughs> oh, really? Uh, okay. Yeah, it was saving an MJEG. Now, Fortune, I looked into it. Oh, oh, this is just an MOV file. It's just, um, MOV is a motion JPEG. They just called it that for some stupid reason. So, rename it. Oh, good, MJ. it works. But they, the thing was, like, where are we going to host it? Because hosting was really expensive back then. I mean, so... Uh, for a video, he says, uh, one of my users, um, I you'll have to forgive me, I can't remember his name right now, uh, he was at Purdue University at the time, says, oh, you know, we could just host it on the university servers, and they're not going to notice this? Oh, no. So, okay, sure. And so, I don't know how much bandwidth that we drove through like that, they did notice eventually, <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, it was it was a big watershed moment, too, because people have seen photos, but not videos of this stuff, so to pioneer that was um, interesting. Mm-hmm. And but a lot of people were convinced at the time. Once they saw the videos, a lot of people were silenced about the whole thing with uh, being fake and all of that. So it's like, okay, we give up. But uh, it did explode from there. Like after that, we did get a lot of international attention. 
the right. crew of us at Mutos, um, particularly the UK group, uh, DDR UK, which the site doesn't exist now. Colin Barker, who ran that, he's still around doing events. Um, it's But at the time as well, we got invitations uh, to go over there, actually, uh, for a few things, because Yasu was the board man he was, was uh, AAA Max 300 uh, again and again and again, partly because people locally didn't believe him as well. There, We still had those kind of people here. Uh, so he would just go in person and do it in front of them. And that was a pretty quick way to silence them. Mm-hmm. And um, he did it 300 times. He was going for 300 times. I'm going to triple A max going for 300 times. I don't know why he was doing it, but he was doing it. And I mentioned this to the DDR UK people, and they made up a T-shirt for him to wear to do on his 300th time. And I still have the photos of that somewhere. I can yeah. probably send them to you. Yeah, you that, that would be great. Um, <laughs> it, it was fun. So we did that, and the reaction was pretty well to say it was positive is an understatement over in uk they were just blown away that they would actually do that so then we got an invitation to flow to a flyover for the mcm expo which is a media convention over at the excel center uh by in london there i don't remember the exact address it's by the ibis hotel where they put us up i can't remember much more than that oh they put you there you didn't fly yeah they put us up in a hotel the first uh the first time now it was a which mix were you actually about using it. this was still during the ddr extreme era this was before okay. supernova but it was after some of the home versions like party collection and things like that okay. so some of the boss songs uh, paranoia respect and all that were around um edit data and custom sim files were taking off mm-hmm. back then so it was the early days of that in the okay. uk as well so it was um, extreme but... um it was 300 um there was probably some ps2 versions right there were some PS2 versions that came out after Extreme before Supernova would come out in 2006. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a few years of gap there. Yeah. Um, the home versions were never really well received. They kind of wanted to play the um, the new songs on an arcade version, but that never came. I mean, there was a bit of a, a death of DDR um, in Japan around that time anyway, the 2004, 2005, because everything was pretty much done by 2004 tournament-wise. So the original first-gen players, most of them just quit the game. This is in uh, Japan, though. Right. This is in Japan, yeah. not in yeah. the rest of the world. In the yeah. rest of the world, they've been playing Extreme till this day. Right. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's Extreme is kind of hard to find these days. But like, it was pretty like Assassin was picking up for me, and um, a lot of the, uh, the the players that were back in the day. I don't know if you know them, but JSB, um, Sketch, yes. Jigs. Yeah. Uh, there was a few people that were um, on the west, on the east coast, you know, and uh, right. there were some people on the west coast that would come over and play. But we would mainly play on long island that's where i'm from and um we spend a lot of time playing on the extreme machine and when you know the supernova machine came out we were like no you know because of the fact Mm. that it was built on different um like the steps the 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 platform the buttons everything was a little bit different so we didn't it was like betson Betson. that's what it was like a betson company or something betson don't worry konami hates betson to this day i mean i didn't say (laughs) All right, so <laughs> yeah, okay. you can leave that in. It's it's actually well known. They don't like Betson, okay. but uh, yeah, it's yeah. I remember that it was a bit of a death of the uh, of the series in um, Japan around two thousand four, two thousand five, which is a bit of a shame because mm-hmm. most of the first generation of players went with it. Like we didn't get a new generation until Supernova, and that's when you have people like Brosoni and all the Brosoni. other guys. Right? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Ringo, they started their fame started around Supernova. They started really going there, um, but. Yeah, so in finding a first generation player nowadays is not the easiest thing I can no, think of. Yeah. Other than myself, there's Press uh, Presan Presis, um, Akudaikon. He's he still can play. He doesn't play regularly anymore. 
a um, few other guys may be around like that too. It's kind of hard to name anybody. Yeah, I mean, uh, right now, um, there's, there's. I mean, I don't know, you, you don't know too many of them, but because of the round one has come mm-hmm. onto East Coast by so much, it's all over New York. We have like three um, stores. We have one in Hicksville. We have one upstate, and we have one in. Um, uh, Penn, near Pennsylvania and Exton, Pennsylvania. So a lot of the of the people who used to be play play before start playing again. I don't know. It's a guy named Goku. I don't know if you know, but basically his name. Mm. Um, there's like you know two or three people that you probably they probably don't know them, but they were pretty mm. big on outside the um, in, Integral. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, integral. There's a there's a guy named Spencer. He plays video. He's really yes, good. Okay. okay. But um. I don't really, I don't really remember him when we were playing when the extreme was around. But mm. I do know that. But like the people like Sketch and Jinx and Bear right. Walker, like they don't play anymore. They all have like mm. I, they 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 still they they're still around. Oh yeah, um, um, it's a guy named Joe Joe. I forget mm. his last name. Yeah, but he actually moved on to actual like Street Fighter gaming. He was like on TV okay. and stuff like that. So, um, other than those guys, it's kind of like a whole new group, and it's great. But um, I think mm. that uh, I'm kind of jelly right now. That you know, round one is just out there now. You have a, we did they put the mm. three machines. I'm like, we had to struggle to find one, you know, and right. you know. <laughs> but I was always like a very like uh, like a semi casual gamer. I played a lot. I didn't really try mm. to play. T- like try to triple everything i didn't have that much time but i did uh appreciate the game i bought a lot of stuff i traveled you know japan and play a lot but i um but being able to keep track of like what was going on that was from your boards um bimani isos um orange lounge radio is another other podcast they kind of do it and uh what was another one ddr freak of course oh and bimani styles Mm. right so these were like some of the yeah, and they kind of I don't know they kind of fluctuated around where different content, but uh, these days they were able to bring over um, a a com a, a com um, Bowmania was in um, Boston where we actually had Course K from mm-hmm. um, from Bimani uh, pa- uh, musicalist I guess he was like one of the musicians for the music he did uh, Heaven Above yes. and he came out to here and I got just to, to talk with him and stuff but the that whole community. That is kind of like gone now, you know, and I think that mm. most of it now is everybody's more about just the p like perfecting the game and just playing. There's a little bit more right, of a, I think more people are more social, but was, they're more individual if they want to. So like the individual. So, it it yeah. was a different climate when um, DDR was at the peak of its popularity, especially here, because around Third Mix, which again 1999, around that area over there too, it was at a peak yeah. where DDR was a social platform over in japan like it was more than just a game like you met people you did things it was the event it was the thing at yeah. the time and people really didn't play for score then it wasn't until like at least right. fourth maybe fifth as well when they were starting to go for scores. scores but even then perfecting it really wasn't a thing until maybe fifth or max dear max something like that was about when it was really taking off at the time it was just a fun thing to do it's like a gathering uh tool so to speak mm-hmm. Um, it was, again, it was a social platform. People met. There were clubs and groups that like do that all together. It was it was a different thing. Like nowadays, it's a lot about score. Um, even here too, there are a lot of new players that I see, mm-hmm. and uh, they're all they all share a lot of the same traits. I mean, people will very quickly point out like the few hundred 
really skilled players. Like you can look on the ranking boards and things like that. You can see there's a bunch of skilled players, but they're not the majority. I mean, there are a lot of people that just stick to the lower difficulties. Like they'll go for the perfection on the lowest stand. It's like a perfect balance for them of a skill, like timing skill required without the physical demand, mm -hmm. so to speak. Like it's more of a yeah. mental challenge than a yeah. physical at that point. Yeah, I agree. I, yeah. I get it. I get mm -hmm. it. Because we do have people that have... Um, full perfect well full marvelous in this area uh they've got over three thousand of them like over the across both difficult uh, both right. double and single all difficulties but they can't or they can barely pass any of the harder content in the game right so they're not focusing on that era they're they're focusing on the lower right. i guess i want i don't want to say lower half of difficulty they're focusing on different element of the difficulty right which that that's actually great because that'll bring us to, to my next my question which do you what what actually um you think is the reason why um, like DDR never like made it into like, you know, a gym or like into schools for like fitness. I always, I've seen a lot of people do some tremendous transformations it's, about that. There are, there are a few cases where you can find throughout his history um, of this happening. I mean, there's a DDR classroom edition, which people barely remember. Even Konami failed to remember <laughs> it in an interview with them before. Um, there's, Again, there's iDance, which was Kyle's project, things like that. But in terms of DDR in their health clubs, like they do own a health club chain, which is the largest, yes. or at the time anyway, it's the largest one in Japan. Yeah. Um, it's still really profitable. I'm not sure if it's the first or the best mm -hmm. one, but it's re still really far up there. And it's one of the most profitable sources for the company. And they, it's now called the Konami Sports Club. At the time, it was called Exus, or I don't know how you pronounce it. The A was like an upside down V type of thing oh, like that. Got it. The, the mathematical symbol one there, I don't know how you pronounce it. <laughs> they they did have a DDR there uh, at the time in the early days, in some of their branches anyway. There was a problem. There was complaints about noise. There was also this um, social discord, so to speak. Like people go to a gym, they kind of expect a certain environment. That sort of broke that environment by having an arcade game there. Uh, okay. I mean, it's they get it. Um, and in schools, that kind of makes sense. Now, in Japan schools, we never had that either. But the home versions actually did help with that a little bit. Some people had clubs in schools, and mm -hmm. I do remember that as well. Um, it was more overseas that you saw DDR in, like, the actual units themselves used for... Uh, I, I, keep, I know it is in Japanese. I forget in English. It's like Himan Taisaku, which is like a countermeasures against being overweight. So <laughs> okay, that, that sort of thing, anti-fat thing as well. But... It's a little bit different here because I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to sound like a stereotypical in any case like that. I mean, there are there is a rising number of overweight uh, people and obesity in Japan as well. But compared to the average American right. school and things like that, it's not the same ballpark. Um, there is a lack of physical education. Well, I should say physical uh, wellness in some cases, I guess, like that. And you do see that today. I mean, people are glued to their smartphones, kids glued to their phones or switches and mm -hmm. things like that like my son probably is and uh so i do see that but there was it's more of a social issue why they didn't keep doing that as well and there was actually a backlash and this would have been in 2013 2014 i might still have the ad saved there were they published a newspaper article saying uh, come to konami sports club you can get fit we have a sale now blah 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 standard so they did have it they did have an arcade uh, they DR did have one they did okay. they did have a newspaper article i okay. did save it good luck finding it somewhere yeah. in my archives um it was basically a page they took a page out and they advertised for the club and they had a small part of that saying oh we also have ddr you can use that to get fit now this was before dance rush or anything like that and was, there were a lot of comments like that 
they say, okay, I get it, but that's an arcade game, and they don't have them at the Konami Sports Club, which you're advertising on that page, mm. and arcades kind of, I'm not going to say they have a bad stigma, they've been getting a worse stigma in recent years. It's sort of like what happened in America in the 90s, where people were having a backlash against arcades. They were sort right. of doing that to this degree. They kind of poke fun at it more than demonize it completely but there are a few variety specials like that where they said like oh girls don't go to arcades and they have like a special and the lead up to it is just uh it's cringeworthy like that so when you think of an arcade what do you think of it's dark it's dirty it's smelly there's nothing but otaku there like that <laughs> oh, look, girls playing games too like, no no go back to that intro you need to redo that that's wow this is a major industry in this country this country still i mean what are you doing so but the it's, yeah. So so right now, I guess uh, I guess we would say that we're at the at the end of like the arcade era. They've been saying that arcade's been dying for years, but well, it's it's a problem because I was in a film about arcades as well. Right. I was in the uh, hundred yen, yen, the yeah. Japanese arcade experience. www.100yenfilm.com. If that link still works, um, I think I think it does. I, I don't know why I, I thought it came up again, and uh, I wanted to go ahead and go into that as well. The uh, the 100 yen just one just 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 before we did that the idea of building the uh, the not building the uh, the having the ending of the arcade era uh, mm. do you feel that has it stopped you from playing DDR? Uh, it doesn't stop me from playing. I mean, I grew up with arcades in Canada in the 80s, mm -hmm. and to a limited degree the 90s, but it was mostly the 80s for me, and. Uh, when I came to Japan, it was like a second life given there. Like even if I didn't have arcades, like during those mid years, I was still taking uh, taking to like computer games, um, mobile game. Well, not mobile at the time, not in the eighties and nineties anyway, but uh, the consoles and that whole era as well. Like there's, I was still playing. I, there's so many things to do. I still liked it. Mm. Uh, the arcades is a great platform. Uh, the one thing that stuck out that stood out particularly with the modern era is that you have unique cabinets or things that you can't replicate at home easily. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's a big thing that, um, oh, did my camera, I think your camera just froze, but it's okay. I think I still hear you here. Just a second here. Okay. Uh, just a second. I got my doors ring. Can you hold on for a minute sure. here? All right. We're going to just clip this and then we're going to start up again. All right, so this is basically going to be the first part. I think that's enough content for um, today. I wanted to go ahead and to use the rest of the time to just really talk about uh, some of the things I've actually been doing because I feel that, that uh, I get a lot of time to let my audience know about what's going on with the newsletter and through the, what do we call the, I have like a YouTube channel and some Facebook, Instagram stories where I kind of like give a little bit of nuggets of information every single day. And I'm actually liking that. I really feel that that information is easier to digest. Um, I, I have brought up a bigger following for it. So if you're interested in like understanding on how to get your information started, you can go ahead and you know find out find me on ksamer.chris at, at gmail.com, uh, yamanote.tech, uh, the website there. You can subscribe to the newsletter, um, or you can go ahead and just ping me on uh, on um, what do you call it again? on Twitter 
at Yamanote underscore Intech, you know, and uh, I'm going to be able to go ahead and start taking this information from different topics I've I basically spent with other people and hopefully be able to kind of provide information for people that is timeless. So that way people are not necessarily focusing too much on absorbing all the information the moment it comes out. You know, I know you guys are busy as well as I, and I want to be able to, you know, uh, uh, make the information available and comfortable for you to digest on a regular basis. And um, yeah, so moving um, forward uh, after that, I think that um, I wanted to go ahead and talk about like some of the things I have like planned for the next, you know, few months. So I have like a few more um, email, uh, sorry, interviews coming up. One interview is going to be with uh, Jimmy Kwans. Uh, She is a sociologist. Uh, She's also uh, an entrepreneur as well. And she's, uh, I kind of met with her through Instagram as I started to dabble with the TaskRabbit platform. And she has a podcast too, and hopefully she'll be willing to um, shed some light on like starting a podcast and how it actually, you know, it, you know, makes her, you know, online presence life, you know, a little bit more easier for people to immerse themselves with her, her content. Um, I also want to go ahead and as have a non-entrepreneur. Uh, her name is uh, Beatrice, uh, or point B, you know, Beatrice Opara. And she is a, uh, a, a, a junior developer who is basically going to talk a little bit about playing at Game Jam, which is basically a, um, like a, like a tournament-like setting, uh, hackathon type of setting where people would come and you know, program and basically for like a couple of days and then there's like a competition and then the winners like get, you know, some sort of like prize of some sort, whether it's just glory or I think it's something about some sort of money they also get too. Um, Beatrice is, is currently working as a software, junior software developer and she's going to bring her her thoughts on, you know, development and technology and society and what she thinks is like the next things that's going to be changing for the future. Um, and with that, I think I have, have, uh, a few more people that haven't like, settled that yet, but hopefully what I'm looking to go ahead and do is get a whole bunch of people to start asking, um, you know, con- consistent questions, you know, and that would be like something we want to know and what, what we think of, because I think that all our information, all our, uh, opinions are important and we don't necessarily take them that seriously, but I do think they're important. And uh, and I think that basically will be it. I'll I'll probably put the rest of of the content all on the la- next part because that, it's good. It was a we it was a bit of a break in between that. Uh, we, was, we were doing it during the day in, in Japan time. So um, when I when I came back, we kind of like were we went off to another topic. So I can kind of go through all of that next time. And uh, with that. Um, Thank you. Thanks you for listening. I really appreciate the opportunity to provide this content to you. Uh, I feel like it's great to, you know, dump this, uh, not really like dump in a negative way, but just like release this um, information to the public in a way that we can always look back on it when we need to anywhere. You know, we all need to really find a way to, you know, share ourselves online because you never really know on what you might find, you know. I mean, I think that we have more things in common than we do um, dif- um, uncommon. So, and um, with that, I guess I'll uh, see you guys uh, in the next episode. It's ja.
Oh yeah, one second. I actually want to go ahead and leave some information. Um, I actually have a bonus. Uh, the first uh, guest I had, Ramin Gaijin, uh, we've been able to collaborate on getting some music, like some bits or cues or intros, outros for this YouTube channel, um, for this podcast. And he was basically nice to uh, sample the songs, the melodies that come from the train, the Yamanochi train, because, you know, that's the whole thing with, of the show. So uh, I want to show the first one. It's called Venus. And let me know how it how it is. If you like it, um, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and send the other two or three throughout the, the week. And you guys can kind of, you know, you know, figure out which one it is. I mean, like uh, whoever has the highest votes, you know, will probably make that one, you know, some of the standards. But they're all pretty cool. Um, but uh, there we go. So Venus. One fine day you realize, to your astonishment, there is no way at all of having your mind anywhere else but in the present moment. Because even when you think about the past or the future, you're doing it now, aren't you? And that results in a very curious transformation of consciousness. You feel that, you, or that the present moment is flowing along and carrying you with it all the time. Just like the flow of the Tao. The flow of the Tao is as if what we would call the flow of the present. See? And you're with it. There's no way of being anywhere else. The Jung Yong, the book called uh, The Unwobbling Pivot, says the Tao is that from which one cannot deviate. That from which one can deviate is not the Tao. Or to put it into the form of a Zen story, the Master Joshu said to Nansen, what is the Tao? Nansen replied, your everyday mind is the Tao. Joshu asked, how do you get into accord? Nansen replied, when you try to accord, you deviate. (laughs) 